Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line, Sprint. They make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Joining us now, Gordon, he was the 10th pick in the first round of the Atlanta Hawks in the 1992 NBA draft. He played for the Utah Jazz from 1994 to the year 2000. He's Adam Keefe with us here on The Big Show. Adam, thank you very very much for a few moments. How are you? Doing great, thanks. How are you guys doing? Hey, we're doing great, and uh, with no sports out there, we're all enthralled in that Last Dance documentary, I think, like all sports fans out there. And you made an appearance in a clip last night. What have you thought of the documentary so far and looking back on those memories? Um, I, I think the documentary's been great. It's really, really fun to see the access that they were granted and, um, you know, fun, obviously, for, for the Jazz to be uh, such a big part of it. So, Adam, uh, before I get into that, because I want to talk a little bit more about it, what the heck are you up to these days? <laughs> um, I am a financial advisor from Morgan Stanley. I've been right. for quite a while now and living down in, in Los Angeles, in Southern California, where uh, kind of where I grew up. And uh, my kids, uh, my oldest, uh, my oldest twin, uh, my oldest or twin daughters, they were born at, in uh, Salt Lake when I was playing for the Jazz, and uh, they are seniors in college. So if you had one bit of advice for investors out there right now, what would you say? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I'm. I'm what I would say is make sure you know what you own. How's that? <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, I, want, I wanted to ask you about, as I'm watching this, this uh, last dance, and we did see you last night, it was kind of cool, but your memories of being in those circumstances against what might be the premier competitor uh, in sports of our time, Michael Jordan, what were those battles like for you? Um, well, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I never, it was, you know, it was never my assignment to guard him. Um, it was, it was an amazing, um, you know, I, honestly, I think at the time everyone, and I can only speak for myself when I was, but I feel like everyone would, would agree with this statement that at the time everyone is so concentrated on the task at hand that you, you don't really appreciate the enormity of the situation. Um, and so that's why it's really fun to look back and watch it because, you know, at the time, all, all that we were trying to figure out was, uh, you know, who, who's going to guard Pippen or, or who's doubling on Jordan or, or trying to do your job. Um, and so it's, it's fun to, fun to, you know, think back and kind of recollect. And, you know, frankly, I've, I've never watched the games. I've never seen highlights. I've, I've never listened to the commentary. So um, it's, it's been fun to watch, to do that. Adam, I remember you as such a tough player, a hard-nosed guy, and watching kind of this old film, you see how physical the NBA used to be, and it's not nearly that way anymore. What do you think about the evolution of the game from that standpoint? You know, uh, I, 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 like, I'm sure like all people that have moved on from their sport, I, I would say that I, I believe that I had a, have a preference for how the game used to be played. It, it, it seems very odd to me that with uh, you know all of the 
developments in nutrition and strength training and, and development that they've kind of taken away the physicality of the game. It, that, that part doesn't make sense to me. But, you know, what they've figured out really well is, is itself, and it's internationally appealing, and, and, you know, the popularity of the sport has grown and grown. Adam, uh, I don't want to spoil anybody who doesn't know how this thing is going to turn out at the end, but uh, wondering what it was like to lose that game six and to walk off the court and head into the locker room. How difficult was it to handle that kind of defeat when you guys were so close? It was it was really hard. It was it was really hard. And and Gordon, you you may or may not remember this, but you know, for me personally, it, it, it was brutal because I had felt that you know throughout the course of the year I had played my way into a position and a role on that team that that you know started seventy eight games at small forward and had the best record in the NBA and beat the Bulls twice in the regular season. You know that was the clip on the other night and then you know getting into the playoffs the the coaching staff just kind of went a different direction and and it wasn't a direction that was hey you know we're going to use you know we're going to start brian russell and you're going to come off the bench it was hey you know you've done great for the regular season we really appreciate what you've done but we have no room for you now in the playoff roster and and so you know it was it was especially painful for me and and uh, you know, I, I think that we were scrambling so much and, and reacting instead of being proactive, reacting to what the Bulls were doing. That I actually think I started Game Six at center, which was you know shocking for a guy of my size and kind of what, what my strengths were. It seems to me like it's interesting that because I, that's I was a little foggy on that, but th- thanks for reminding me. I, now I recall. It seems like, though, that, Adam, you personified the kind of player the Jazz typically celebrate. A guy like Jake was talking about. You busted your hump out there for the Jazz. And it, it, it maybe not having you as involved as you had been earlier hurt the Jazz. I mean, what do you think? Well, look, I, I think everybody from, you know, the coaching staff on down was doing their best to, to win games and, and obviously they had concerns with matchups offensively and obviously they had concerns with matchups defensively um, but but what I would say is that that jazz team was a team where we were really good at what we did and, and we didn't change that you know we, we didn't change how we played offensively our pick and roll if we were playing the Rockets versus the Spurs versus the Bulls. You know, we, we everyone kind of knew what we were going to do, and we forced them to stop us. And you know, in, in my opinion, you know, maybe maybe in retrospect, you know, allowing Brian Russell to have more offensive freedom off the second unit may have been more beneficial for us. But at the end of the day, that's just guessing. And, and, at, and at the end of the day, everyone was trying to, to do the best to, to help us win. Adam Keefe is with us here on the big show on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Adam, we're getting a a look at maybe what it was like to be on a team led by Michael Jordan with this documentary. What was it like on a team led by John and Carl? Hard to imagine anything better. Uh, Those two guys were phenomenal leaders, uh, both on the court and in the locker room. I feel like they were really appreciative of people in, in role situations and role spots, and, and they they made you feel like your contributions were really important to the team. Um, they were 100% leaders in, off the court in terms of 
you know, how they carried themselves, how they conducted themselves. They're, you know, never late, n- never dismissive, never problematic. It, it really was remarkable that, that two players could, who were so talented, could really be that way. I mean, it was phenomenal. Did you ever have a problem with a teammate, Adam, where you had to smooth things over? Is that something that happens more frequently than we on the outside know? You know, I felt our Utah Jazz team was very cohesive, and I felt like that cohesiveness, you, you could see it out on the court as well. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of smoothing out that needed to be done that, that I'm aware of for, for the six years I was there. Um, you know, it, 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 teams run pretty smoothly when the star players or whatever you want to call them, the best players, the team leaders, are on the same page with the coach, and that's clearly what was the case in Utah, and it was very easy to kind of fall in line and again, because you were appreciated for for your contributions, I think people, I think that went a long way towards building cohesiveness. And and you know, really, uh, we didn't have many problems at all with on that jazz team. I wondered, Jake, how it would have gone if Adam had showed up in uh, in Jerry Sloan's office and said, "Jerry, I want a vacation in the middle <laughs> like, of this." Season. Like Rodman uh, did. <laughs> yeah how do you, how do you think that would have gone? Adam, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, that wouldn't have gone over so well. <laughs> uh, Adam Keefe is with us here on uh, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Adam, of course, uh, guarding Michael Jordan would have been incredibly difficult. But uh, give us your toughest matchups, uh, a few names of guys that were the hardest to guard when you were playing. For me, it was pretty easy because I was kind of playing an out-of-position small forward. I, you know, I was a big small forward my really difficult matchups were, were were the smaller small forwards that were quick and could put the ball on the floor and shoot. So playing against, uh, you know, a Reggie Miller when he was playing three or Glenn Rice, I'm not saying that guarding Charles Barkley or Larry Johnson was easier, but I'm just saying for my body type and what I could do, it was a more natural fit for me. But, you know, me chasing Reggie Miller off screens on the perimeter, that's not a great recipe for, for jazz success. But, but we managed to do it, managed to get it done. What was the highlight of your career, Adam? That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I'd say the highlight of my career was, was probably that, that team feeling we had in that, in that last year and in in going into um, and playing through the regular season um, when we had the best record in the NBA. Um, it, it, it was my best season in the NBA in terms of, you know, I think I averaged 7.8 points. I shot over 80 from the free throw line. I shot 54 from the field. I think I led the team in offensive rebounds. Um, that was fun. It was fun because of the amount that we were winning and the amount that I was able to contribute to the team's success. You still stay in contact with any of those old teammates? Yeah, I stay in, I stay in contact with um, – uh, I've seen contact with, with Jeff and John uh, a fair amount. And then I see um, other guys around kind of in the sports circuit. So I've, I've seen Brian Russell out and about with his kids playing sports or in different areas down here in, in Southern California. But, um, yeah, it was a great group of guys. And, and obviously a couple of years ago when we got together to celebrate winning the Western Conference uh, finals, it was, it was great to see everyone. I'm testing my memory here a little bit, Adam, but uh, does it surprise you that you did not pursue a career in politics? Because weren't you sort of uh, dabbling in that a little bit back in the day? It's something. 
something I enjoy very much. Um, I am very glad right now that I'm not a politician. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. Yeah. speaking of that, your, your current profession, these are not necessarily easy times for that either. Nope, nope. Things are, th- you know, things are busy and, you know, it's, it's always nice when markets go up and up and up, but the reality is they don't. And so, uh, you know, things have been very busy. Adam, you were always known as a rather cerebral fellow. If you had, uh, if you could get the ear of professional athletes who uh, are at some point going to come to the end of their playing days and they need to plan for their future, it sounds like you've made that transition smoothly uh, and, and maybe had some advantages in that regard because of your mental capacity. But uh, what advice would you give? You know, I, I think for a lot of guys it's it's honestly just understanding that you don't get to play forever and and guys like Malone and Stockton and Hornacek and you know these people who play 14 15 18 20 years are are such anomalies within the field of competitive sports um that that you really do have to kind of think to yourself hey I, you know back in the old days when people went to four years of college before they went to the NBA you, you know you come out at age 22 and I mean, if you play 10 years, that's an incredible career. You're 32 years old, um, you know, and I, and I don't think most 32-year-olds, I don't think it's in their DNA to sit around or be retired. I mean, it, it may be financially possible, but it's, it's not necessarily, a, you know, maybe a great feeling or it's maybe not what those people want. Um, and so it's finding and leveraging what you want to do while you're playing, while you have access, while doors will open, while people are willing to engage with you, that, that people should be thinking about that transition. Last thing for me, Adam, before we let you go, you know, we're taking a walk down memory lane thinking about these uh, great jazz teams. What do you remember about my co-host Gordon Monson from back in the day? Good rider. Okay, Gordo, what do you think? I'll take it. It could have been a lot worse, I'll tell you that. But I appreciate that, Adam. I appreciate yeah. Yeah, it. And to, pay, and, to, and to pay you back, I want to say, is there a way, if any of our listeners out here with big bucks want to invest, utilize your services, can they contact you somehow? Yeah, I'm sure that I'm violating every form of like broker-dealer <laughs> thing that I, that I could if I open my mouth, but I'm... I'm very easy to find. I'm on all the normal all the normal channels that you go through to find. Very easy. Well, Adam, we appreciate you dropping by the show. A lot of fun to have you on. Thank you very, very much. Great, guys. Take care. Adam Keefe, formerly of the Utah Jazz. And, uh, Gordon, that was a fun conversation. You know, I had forgotten that Adam started all those games that year. What did he say? Did he say 79 starts? We'd have to go back and look at that. But uh, And then to make that kind of adjustment in the playoffs, I had forgotten about that. Yeah, I had as well. But that is now when he said that, it all came back. That that was kind of a that was kind of an interesting decision. Seventy five starts. I stand corrected. Yeah. Bringing up his stuff. Started uh, seventy five games that year. Yeah, I had I'd forgotten they switched that. It, then they switched it around. Yeah. How about that? And even said he started game six at center. I didn't remember that either. Yeah, I, I did not. But uh, uh, those teams. I mean, Adam Keefe was just a big part of, of of the Jazz at that time. I mean, the best Jazz teams probably ever. Uh, Adam was a part of. So, uh, yeah, that's, I'll tell you, Jake, I got all kinds of memories coming back. Uh, that was 22 years ago, and uh, it's kind of fun to go down memory lane, like you said.
Yeah, no doubt. It is uh, it is fun to remember those things and uh, to think about uh, players like Adam Keefe, who, who certainly was not a star in the NBA, but, you know, he did. You're right, Gordon. He personified a lot of what Jazz fans uh, perceive the Jazz to be, and that's, you know, play hard all the, all the time, play tough, be a mm-hmm. team guy, and Adam was that very much. And that's probably why he stayed here for so long. I mean, he was here from 94 to 2000. That's a long run with the, with the franchise. Yeah, it was. And like I said, that was the absolute pinnacle uh, of Utah Jazz basketball. So, uh, yeah, he was a part of it. And when you're going through that stuff the first time, it's almost like you think it's always going to be like that, you know. But then as the years go by, that change happens. Players uh, like Adam Keefe go a different direction. The team goes a different way. And then sometimes the winning uh, evaporates a little bit as well. So good to hear from Adam. I had not talked with him probably since he retired. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was fun. We'll get that up online at 1280thezone.com. Coming up next, we've got our drop of the day. And we've all joined forces to hear one kind of long (laughs) clip of audio. But uh, it's, it's from a long time ago, and it's hilarious. So we thought we'd uh, we'd all join forces and play this one bit coming up next. And if you miss baseball, you'll really like it. This will be perfect <laughs> for you. That's coming up straight ahead. It's the big show, 97.5 and 1280 of the zone. If you missed yesterday's uh, sounds uh, of various uh, clips, then you won't know exactly what we're talking about right now. But that is definitely appointment radio, isn't it? Sounds of various clips, also known as Drops of the Day, brought to you by Divi, the modern financial platform for business. See how you can spend smarter at GetDivi.com. One correction, Jake. Today it is the sound of a various clip. Okay. All right. So we're going singular. Yes, we we came up with kind of a long clip. Actually, I remembered this, and we decided we'd all join forces because it is like five minutes long, but it is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and this goes back, uh, what year did we decide it was? Uh, Austin was like 09 or yeah, something uh-huh. like that. And uh, some NPR radio guy tracked down a Chicago Cubs fan on opening day. And uh, this is how that sounded. Hey, Justin Coffin here uh, at Wrigley Field uh, in Wrigleyville for opening day here in Chicago, April 1st. Uh, exciting, exciting day here in um, you know, we one of the things about Wrigleyville that's great is that it has nothing to do with the actual baseball game. People get here at 6 in the morning and line up for the bars that open up. And it's sort of more of a celebration. I'm here with someone who actually waited in line to get in the Yahtzee this morning. I didn't wait in line. I slept on, under the, one of the tables. I went last night and I slept under one of the tables overnight. So I was right. technically in it before they even... Well, um, your, your name is Colleen What, what brings you back to Wrigley Field, to Wrigleyville on opening day every year? What's, what's easy, the easy. The wings, the beer deals, just like usually like hot guys that are like up for anything. Okay. Um, the hats, yeah. um, like the bus. The bus brings me here. Bus. This is like I'm fun. <laughs> because you're like, what brings you here? Bus. <laughs> this is like a joke or something. The actual game. I mean, this is a big game. Uh, yeah, the game's great. The game's totally great. We're going to win it. It's going to happen. You think the Cubs are going to do it this year? Yeah, no. I don't know. Maybe. 
and maybe Charlie can back up. They've yeah. got these nice little things here. Can you name one of these players? Are you single? So he got like an extra ticket to the game. <laughs> so he says. So she says, "Are you single?" And then he says, "No, I'm married." He said, "Is she here?" <laughs> I have two favorite parts. First, the first is where she's like, "The guy says uh, it's his niece and nephew," and then I said, "Well, why do they keep calling you dad?" <laughs> it's our joke. It's our joke. And then when he said, where's this going to be broadcast? NPR. Well, they should defund that. What is this, Russia? (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, he could probably pretty well tell that she had uh, been. uh, Now, how she got under the table. At uh, the bar. The question is, did she drink herself under the table? Uh, Well, I I would imagine. sure sounded like there was quite a bit of inebriation involved. How many uh, floors of bars have you slept on there, Gordon? <laughs> and how many times were you sober? <laughs> never, uh, never to my knowledge have I ever no? done that. Never happened? But, but Not uh, even opening yeah. day, huh? No, no, okay. never. 
But uh, th- that didn't sound like the kind of Cubs fan that I think of when I think of Cubs fans. I mean, oh, that sounds I think exactly a, what I think of when I think of oh, Cubs I fans. Know. Have you ever I, been I, to Riv- Wrigleyville? Yeah, I that's have. Wild. And, and, and it's well, yeah. That's <laughs> what was that, by the way? She said, uh, I, "I meet a lot of hot guys here who are up for anything," and I'm like, "Oh." Okay. And then she asks him what kind of car they drive. You'd pass that test, Gordon. What kind of car? I mean, do people, do women still ask guys what kind of car they drive? Wasn't that something that you would ask, like, in the 50s? I have a nice car. Mm. Now we know why. Man, I'll tell you. Well, I mean, <laughs> if that was all it took, <laughs> I might, uh, I might. Uh, might have done all right, but uh, anyway, uh, it's uh, it was <laughs> that when I think of a Cubs fan, I think of a bleacher bum, but I think of somebody who knows who's on the team. I don't know if baseball was this gal's highest priority. The kind of car you drive has nothing to do with vanity. Mm. What does it have to do with? Right. No, it has to I do agree. with driving pleasure. You guys. See, this is how I know you've never had there a really, is. really nice car. It's because you know you don't own a nice car to show off. You own a nice car for the driving pleasure. False. Absolutely 100% true. False. Then, then why don't you take accounts. a Porsche's or Porsche engine and just drop it in a Honda Civic, 1996 Honda Civic? How do you? I don't have the. I don't. How do you do that? You but can, you can't. You paid to have it why, delivered. Why, I'm why, sure you could why, pay to have it put in a different car. Why would I want to do that? Because so I that see, no one I, knows it's a nice car, but, but it feels but, but, like right. a nice so car. So you're not pretentious. Hey, I, you just enjoy driving a nice car. I have bought cars in the past that have been nice cars that nobody knows it's a nice car. Uh, unless you're unless you're a car person. That. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, I. You can't just drop a high-powered engine into a piece of garbage car. Why not? Because hey, easy with the piece of garbage here, pal. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I guarantee we have several listeners driving that car right now. <laughs> and why not? Again, why not? I know, but your point was because it doesn't handle the same. It doesn't have see the nice driving. Listen, experience. listen. The Porsche isn't logo power. isn't giving you an additional, you know, twenty miles an hour, man. No, but it, it's the whole. It's the car it's, as a whole. It's it, how it's how way, are people supposed it's, to know it's, it's a Porsche how, how, without no, the 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 no, Porsche on the no. front? It's how balanced it is. It, how it, how it how it uh, handles the curves that you're going through. And it, Does it, the car even more, operate if people don't know it's a Porsche? Man, see, you guys are revealing your shallow nature just uh-uh. by your attitude about this stuff. We are. Because it's got nothing to do with what you're talking about. Well, you're the one it's who got... dropped on us in this segment. Well, you must not have driven a really nice car. And you're not car people. Yeah. You don't know what you're talking <laughs> no, about. Because, because you said you just take a powerful engine and, and drop it, it into a car the that doesn't, that isn't, isn't, uh, isn't, you know, uh, doesn't handle the way uh, a driving machine would. 
All right, Gordon. Driving machine. Here's here's your uh, easy Orville, right? Here's how you can put put your money where your mouth is. Go out to the Ferrari in the in the garage and pry all the stuff that says it's a Ferrari off of there. And then I want you to take a big metal object. I don't I don't know what you know. And I want you to just swipe it down the side of that thing, and just really mangle the paint job. Put in some pretty significant dents. And then I'll believe you that you're driving it just for the pleasure. Why would I want to damage the property that I've purchased? That that, that makes no sense. It's not I affecting mean, how it's it's driving, is it? No, but it, well, why but, would I do damage to the car that I that I that I like? To uh, prove to Austin and, and myself that you're not pretentious. No, but that have, would be I, why I, I, to to prove you, you, a point that you've been claiming for years. You could put it all the rest by doing just that. You guys know that I have a car that there is only one little teeny unnoticeable symbol that's on the car that distinguishes it as being what it is. And nobody who doesn't know cars knows the difference between that and the standard issue of that car. Okay, so go pry it off of there. And then, uh, so it won't be very, it won't be very hard for you to pry off if there's only one. Pry it off, and then just really, I mean, just do damage that paint. I mean, pour paint thinner on the car, Gordon. There's no reason. There's no reason. Yes, you'd be proving. You'd be proving to Austin and me that it's not not about about the brand. Yeah, it's not about vanity. You'll drive a beat up looking clunker, but it still performs because you like to drive. I've I've known people who have had cars that were nondescript who were that were absolutely fire breathing dragons. I mean, I have known some people who had that. What does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean that you've known people who've done that? That logic well, doesn't I'm, make any I'm sense. Just saying that some folks do something similar to that. Well, you but, should. You, but you I could don't prove wanna, Austin and I, I wrong for I, once I and for all. Why would I want You think I want to take a hammer to my car just so I can prove you wrong? Yes. No, I think you don't want to because it's about vanity. It's not about vanity. Look, you guys know me. Am I a vain person? Yes, very much. I have a nice car. I repeat, am I a vain person? Do I care what people think about me? Yes. Oh, Jake. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chad. Chad uh, tweets into the show. He says, Gordon just have him put a Pinto logo on his Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a that's a good point. Just take a normal, just take a normal run of the mill everyday brand. And whatever. We'll shut up forever. Uh, just just put that Honda H right on the front of that thing. <laughs> I'll and, give you mine. We will never tease you again. <laughs> Mine's falling off anyway. I'll give it to you. Yeah, but see, the the badge on the car doesn't really people. I mean, when you look at a nice piece of machinery it doesn't matter what the logo is prove it by taking uh <laughs> what? Take, you want me to take a screwdriver to my car you do whatever you want <laughs> yeah i don't i i don't know how you deface it however you feel right but you but it just needs a different car brand's logo on the car we I say let the grandkids paint on the side. Of we it. know Blake Murdoch very well. I bet he'd hook us up with a Hyundai H. <laughs>
<laughs> Murdoch Hyundai, by the way, best in the biz. We love those oh, guys. Yeah. He'd, well, he'd hook us up with a, a Hyundai H. I guarantee you would. Yeah, my daughter has a Hyundai. Yeah, so go pry the logo off that thing and let's glue it onto the, the, the Air Force One or whatever you're calling that car. <laughs> you guys. Get off I mean, my car. I, I, I just, I, I feel... I feel bad for you. So do, so do we. You're missing the point. <laughs> you're missing the point of the whole thing. Vroom, vroom. People don't care what kind of car you drive. They couldn't care less. So why buy a car to try and impress other people who don't care? You answer me that question, Gordon. We're not the ones buying nice cars here. <laughs> no, but it's the driving experience. So slap a, a different logo on that thing and let's <laughs> prove it. I love the way you guys want me to damage my car in order to prove that I don't care what people think. That's what you got to do, man. You got to do what you got to do. Have you ever have you ever been in a in a a performance car on an open road up in the mountains somewhere and just 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 carved through those turns and just to feel the way it feels I'm Gordon Monson. No, it's just it's just a feeling. Either either you have it when you care about it, or you don't. And so I get it. A lot of people don't. They don't care about that, and they don't have any interest in that. You know, the kind of car you drive has nothing to do with vanity. We exactly. we're all aware of what you value, Gordon. We're we're all right there. And some <laughs> no. of us can try it out, and some of us can't. We got it. Lesson no. learned. <laughs> I have a nice car. No, what I'm saying is, it's not it's not the most important thing to me. Obviously. There are other things that are much more important, but like the logo it, on the front. No, I do enjoy, I do enjoy the driving experience, and and I I, I don't know how they just many of it's our good listeners to have out there, a, a big stash of money. Many, many of our listeners out there right now who are co- drivers of cars who are nodding their heads in agreement with me right now because they know what that feels like, and that's what they care about. They don't care. What the Joneses down the street think about you and what you own and what you buy. And maybe because if I cared about that, then wouldn't I dress a little more snappy than I do? They can't see what pants you're wearing in that car, Gordon. <laughs> Gordon's expensive car talk brought to you by our friends at Divi, the modern financial platform for business. See how you can spend smarter at getdivi.com. I don't go around trying to impress people. That's uh, that's that's pretty clear. I, I I want to believe you, and you've got an opportunity to help us believe you. I don't, and I do by, by taking a hatchet to my car. No, yeah. you just have to pry off the symbol, and then tape on an H from a Honda <laughs> or a Hyundai. That's, but that's just a lot. Or a Toyota. <laughs> but that's not what it is. So. You're so not you pretentious gotta, about that, it's remember? It's not about vanity. Yeah. No, no. No, but you got to stay true. How to are they what, supposed to know what, what it is? is? No, just stay true. Listen. Oh, my gosh. All right. More next. Stay tuned. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, thank goodness. That's over. At Mass Mutual Foundation, our Future Smart Challenge teaches middle school students how to make smart financial choices. Mass Mutual Foundation is pleased to partner with EverFi and the Utah Jazz to help empower young leaders to take positive steps toward a successful career and financial security. To learn more, visit futuresmart.massmutual.com. Again, that's futuresmart.massmutual.com. 
I'm here to introduce the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about from the guys you know and trust. Go Town! Turn it up. You're listening to The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding members forward for over 80 years. Yeah, yeah. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Peace train sounding louder. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day. We greatly appreciate it. How you doing over there, Gordon? You gonna you, you getting ready to to pry off that logo on your car yet? Look, I, I want to make it clear to everybody that I'm just a working man. I'm just trying to scrape on by. And uh, so don't paint this picture like I'm some sort of something that I'm Some not. sort of what? Uh, indulged somehow. Um, yeah. <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm just... I'm just working. We away don't here. do that, Gordon. You do that. We don't do that. You do that. No, you do it. You do it. Because here, I can't defend myself if I tell you that I like I like a a fine driving machine because I like the feel of driving it. Uh, I don't uh, do it for any vain reason, and I don't do it to impress anybody. And really, it's the one nice thing I have. I don't have any other nice things, as you know. Uh, Gordon, uh, the your Los Angeles Lakers, your favorite team, uh, are in the middle of an interesting controversy. Tell me what you think about this. I'll read right from the ESPN report. The Lakers have returned approximately $4.6 million that they received from a federal government program intended to help small businesses weather the economic burden uh, caused by the coronavirus. The Lakers, one of the NBA's most profitable franchises, applied for relief through the Small Business Administration's Paycheck Protection Program and were among the companies and nonprofits granted loans during the first round of distributions. But after reports that several large and highly capitalized entities were securing aid from the program's initial $349 billion pool, while hundreds of thousands of smaller businesses were shut out, the Lakers said they returned the money. Well, I think that was good of them to do that. Uh, Obviously, that uh, money is intended to help uh, struggling businesses who need that help. And I'm not sure that the Lakers qualify. No, well, they did qualify. I think that's kind of what's alarming people i'm I'm talking about the spirit of the thing uh let's see here the lakers said this in a statement quote the lakers qualified for for and received a loan under payroll protection program once we found the funds from the program had been depleted we repaid the loan so that financial support would be directed to those most in need the lakers remain completely committed to supporting both our employees and our community unquote Yes, that's a smart move on the part of the Lakers, as it should be. Yeah, I mean, is you know, some people will say, well, why did they apply for it in the first place? Um, but the answer to that is that NBA revenue is down to zero, right? I mean, they're not bringing anything in, and you know, the Lakers are probably not that much different than a lot of small businesses out there that they're trying to keep their employees uh, employed. But a lot of people would say, well, the Lakers aren't a small business. They're worth several right. billion dollars. right. That would be the question. 
right there. But anytime you have anybody who's running a company, they are looking out for the best interests of the company and for the company's employees. And so I can understand maybe why someone might apply to see if they qualify um, in the in the best interests of the organization. But, you know, if it's coming at the expense of other businesses who really need it, it's good that somebody recognized that for what it was. So there you go. The Lakers out there in the news. And we'll have more Big Show coming up right around the corner. But joining us now, our friend from Wasatch Medical Clinic. And, uh, Andrew, you've been helping our listeners all afternoon. Folks out there still dealing with ED. Unfortunately, that doesn't take a break during a pandemic. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so many guys are struggling with ED. Um, often we'll we, you know we'll go in we'll talk to a guy and he'll say oh i'm you know kind of embarrassed i must be the only one and it's so common and the worst thing is that you do nothing and the problem generally gets worse and worse until it really does take a toll on you and the relationship and everything um so it's very common it can be fixed that's our message is that you really don't have to take a pill for erectile dysfunction. The type of technology we use, acoustic wave therapy, studied now over and over by all of the big journals, clinical studies have been done, the FDA even clearing it in 2011 for increasing of blood flow. Uh, That is what ED is. It's a lack of blood flow. Typically with just a few short treatments over two to three weeks, we can restore normal function uh, natural without any of those nasty side effects. How many guys out there, Andrew, do you see that have really tried all the alternatives and just are, are totally, I mean, close to giving up? You know what I mean? Or, or saying, you know what, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, I would say most. It right. seems like uh, the easy thing to do is to order some pills online, you know, order some supplements. That's the first thing guys do. Uh, I do not see a very high success rate with those. Uh, and then they come to somebody like us, and maybe it's a little bit tough to come into the ED clinic, which I can totally understand. But once they've gone through the treatments, almost always they say, I'm so glad I did this. I wish I would have done it earlier. I, I was taking pills almost to a dangerous level, and this is the natural fix. 801-901-8000 is the number to call. 801-901-8000. Get in there because you've got nothing to lose, right, Andrew? You'll make that uh, doctor's appointment free. Nothing to lose. Um, Pretty much every clinic that I'm aware of that has uh, technology like this or is doing something like this across the country, they charge to come in and see the doctor. I've seen that, $3.99 and $4.99. It's free with us. No, uh, No charge to you or your insurance. It's an analysis. It's an exam blood flow ultrasound, and even uh, a special gift that produces instant results in the bedroom. If you're out there struggling with ED and fed up with the medication, call us now. It's all free. 801-901-8000. 801-901-8000. Wasatch Medical Clinic. Thanks as always, Andrew. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That's our friend Andrew Reinhardt from Wasatch Medical Clinic. Again, that number, 801-901-8000. More Big Show coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Wrapping up a Monday big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Gordon, fun show today, man. I I, I sure am glad. Uh, I hope our listeners are glad, too, but that uh, The Zone Sports Network, we continue to, to jump on the air and have a few shenanigans. 
Yeah, we had some terrific guests today, Adam Keefe among them. And uh, Jake, uh, we, we goofed around a little bit, but we also talked about serious issues that folks are facing. And uh, so it was a good mix of uh, sports with uh, other pressing matters that everyone's trying to figure out. Yeah, and uh, Adam Keefe called you a good writer. He did. He did. Do you think he, he meant that, me that? Or, or do you think he was just being nice? I have no way of knowing. Uh, all I know is what I heard. And what I hear, Jake? Is is what? You have something you What did I that? hear? What do you mean? Oh, that he's a good writer. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're a good writer. Well, maybe you should uh, like do an experiment and just blast him in a column, just rake him over the coals, and then see if he has the same opinion. I did write about Adam uh, a number of times uh, beyond just, uh, you know, uh, what was going on on the floor. I had an opportunity to sit down and chat with him on occasion. So I did have some, some, some uh, doings with him. And I remember him being an impressive cat, man. He, he was uh, he, he was smart dude. And it sounds like he's doing well with his second chosen profession. Yep. All right, Gordo. Well, uh, we'll do this thing again tomorrow. Have a nice evening, my friend. You too. And I want to wish you, Jake, and your family, and Austin, and your family, and all our listeners out there, and your families, uh, a safe and healthy evening. Uh, Stay sane, too. Uh, Just uh, hang in there, folks. We'll make it through this. We'll talk to you tomorrow on The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280, The Zone.